Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. Keep your head up, marching on. Don't let nothing stand in your way. Hello there, warrior. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today is a Five Things Friday feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Each week, we talk about five things related to recovery, whether that is five steps to improve your body image, five ways to cope with weight gain, or today's topic of five lies the eating disorder tells you. An important part of the recovery process is beginning to separate your eating disorder voice from your authentic voice. And that means ruthlessly questioning your beliefs about yourself, about food, and about your worth being attached to your body. And the eating disorder voice can be so sneaky and deceptive, like you don't even see that it's there, but it's feeding you with lies that keep you trapped. To talk about this topic today, I have members of Team Recovery Warriors here with me, and I'm just so proud of my talented team of warriors. Each member has a personal experience of battling an eating disorder and unique talents and skills that they combine with their passion for helping others find recovery. Now, before we get into today's topic, I want to let you know about the free gift we made to support you in your recovery. It's called the Daily Growth Habit, and it's a private library of audio affirmations that are designed to help you nurture new ways of being and thinking in recovery. I put a lot of love into these affirmations, and essentially, they're all under 15 minutes. And the idea around this Daily Growth Habit is 15 minutes is 1% of your day. So if you can just dedicate 15 minutes towards something that is life-affirming, soul-affirming, recovery-affirming, you are investing in yourself, right? And that 1% will compound if you continue to do this. Now, there's so many ways you can invest in yourself with this daily growth habit, and these affirmations are one of them. You can seamlessly integrate these into your life. So this is our gift to you. And to get access, all you have to do is request a free invite at recoverywarriors.com slash habit. Now, this is a private library, but when you request your invite and get your private invitation link, you can play it directly from your podcast player. And just like with podcasts, you'll get new ones that appear in your feed. You will also be getting new affirmations every new moon and full moon. And this just helps keep you motivated as you continue to walk the path of recovery. Alrighty, my warrior friend. Today, we have Madeline and Andrea with us. I am Madeline. I am the brand designer, and I'm responsible for making our company vision come to life and build connections in our community to share all of our resources. Hi, I'm Andrea. I am the podcast producer for Recovery Warrior Shows, and I am responsible for scheduling guests and ultimately growing our network of shows. So now that you met the team, let's dive into five lies the eating disorder tells you. Are you ready, Madeline and Andrea? Yes. <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. All righty. Lie number one. I'm not sick enough. Now, this one often comes in where I'm not sick enough, I don't deserve treatment, or I can't get the help that I need because I have to be sicker than I am. These are things that can start to feed into this idea that you need to be sicker in order to get help. How did this kind of factor in for you guys? How did this lie really take root and how are you able to uproot it? Yeah, that was a big one for me to even accept that I had an eating disorder in the first place because I believed like which is a common misconception even now, is like you have to be super thin, bone skinny to have an eating disorder. Otherwise, you don't have one. And I've, I wasn't, (laughs) I've never been that. So I was like, how can I have an eating disorder? I'm not that skinny. And even when I had like a psychiatrist say, "Um, you're showing signs of an eating disorder. And it's like, no, no, I'm not. Like, (laughs) it's not even a thing. So it took a while for me to accept and truly 
understand like, no, eating disorders don't have a look. Eating disorders are feelings and behaviors. And yeah, sometimes it can affect your body size, but there's no look to an eating disorder. So for me, it was like, yeah, I didn't feel sick enough because I didn't feel sick at all because to me it was like, no, my body's too big. I'm So I'm not sick enough. I don't deserve help. I don't even have a problem. So that was the first thing I had to unpack before even getting treatment. And that took some time. That's so interesting because I feel like the same thing also a little bit of kind of not feeling sick enough. Also, just because especially sort of in the in the beginning, I had a very like acute period. But then over a lot of years, it was kind of like waves where sometimes it was worse. Sometimes it was a little bit better. And so, yes, I also had sometimes this narrative in the beginning of whatever. I'm not really that sick. But also it sort of took on a bit of a different form where it was also sort of this voice that was like, I, I didn't want to be sick because I didn't want the help. So it was like, mm. I was telling them, no, you're fine. You're fine. This week was great. You don't have a problem. No, 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 no. You don't need treatment. You don't need help. You don't need to actually deal with this problem because it was just still giving me too much safety, I guess, in a weird way. Yeah, because help means change. And change yeah. means letting go. Exactly. And that's scary, right? If you're like, I kind of want to keep this because this is give this is, you know, helping me in, in some way, right? Because we know that eating disorders in the end are coping mechanisms. They are essentially this safety blanket until they turn into a straitjacket and and you become confined, right? So that's that's definitely a thing. And I this makes me also think of like addiction recovery, where it's this idea like the first step is always acceptance that you have a problem right? To like be aware and accepting of that. And for so long for me, that evaded my consciousness because I thought I was the problem, like that I just wasn't able to diet good enough. And like, I, you know, I was just yeah. not being able to follow my diet. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> like if Jessica just could follow her yeah, diet, mm-hmm. same, yeah. then everything would be all right. And that was just not the case. So once I became aware, like, whoa, you know, and that really came through talking with other people who were sharing their experience around it. I remember opening up to a really good friend of mine and we before bonded about dieting. We were like diet kind of buddies and workout buddies and we talked about it. And then we were just like, by the way, I kind of like throw up, you know, <laughs> like and just like, you know, inserted like the thing. And then it was like, oh, I do that too. And that just all of a sudden, both of us started to reach all these new levels of recovery. We started reading recovery books and like, it was just amazing to then open up about it and share it. So that wasn't even then that really catapulted me actually getting more help and and traditional treatment. So that wraps up this lie that I'm not sick enough. If you were struggling with behaviors or thoughts or just emotions that feel overwhelming, all of the things that go into an eating disorder, you are deserving to get help and connection and support around it. And you do not need to be a certain body size. You do not have to hit these clinical benchmarks that the DSM-5 sets up in order to be be sick enough. If you are struggling, you are worthy of support and help. Let's move now into our next lie the eating disorder tells you. Lie number two. I will stop my eating disorder behaviors once I hit my goal weight. So this is the idea that there is this illusory point that, okay, once I get there, once I stabilize and, and get to this point, then, then I'll stop these behaviors that, that I don't want to have. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue this. So it's this idea that you're postponing the recovery or postponing the change until you reach a point that you feel safe. For everybody, that can look different. We can all have different goal weights. That's the interesting thing about eating disorders. We all have different body sizes. All of us probably had different goal weights that we were always like, I want to be here. This is where happiness lies, or I want to stay here. And I, I, you know, I can't not move an inch from here because that's going to be scary. So this idea of when I get here, then I will stop. Did this kind of register for you guys? Is this part of your experience? Yeah, I've experienced that before. And I never hit my goal weight (laughs) ever. I came close sometimes. I made a, a solid effort. Not that that's a good thing. But yeah, I would totally feel that way. It's like, okay, so I'm just going to starve myself for a little while. And then once I get to the weight I want to be at, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll go back to quote unquote normal. Like, Then I'll, I'll stop. It never panned out. I don't think that pans out for anyone. <laughs> Maybe, but <laughs> not when you have an eating disorder now. 
And this ties into the idea that we all have these unique set points for our bodies, right? Like all of our bodies are designed so differently, so differently. And, you know, I know when I was in the depths of my eating disorder that the whole weight thing was like really important. Like, well, what weight is it going to be? Like, so I, if, if you're listening to this and you were so concerned about weight, that is a common thing, but just recognizing that your body has a natural size it really wants to be at and you don't have to control that. Like your body can get there. And for everybody, that's different. Yeah. And that's a lot around genetics. And it can't be defined by the BMI. Like that's no very uh, problematic, but that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's so fascinating to just hear different perspectives and how they felt because I think for, for me personally, I was I actually never had this feeling of, oh, once I hit that goal weight, I always had a fairly thin athletic body. So for me, it was more this fear of like, it just can't change. It can never change. Getting bigger is the worst thing. So I just did. So that was almost there. There was no arrival point. And I think that's what pushed me to recovery in the end. That's that because I realized that there, there is no end to this. If if the cost of looking this way are engaging in these behaviors, then how is that going to end? Right. I might look like this, but what is it? What it's what is it costing me? Right. So, yeah, that was kind of more my perspective. Yeah. I always think about like with this because it is so unique with everybody's like all three of us have completely different experiences around it. Mine was, you know, I was binge eating since the age of six. I experienced trauma earlier in my life. And so I coped with it through binge eating. And so I was a binge eater since like my first memories are just me, right? No, like anybody showing me the camera and like, you know, pictures was like me just binge eating to reruns of the Partridge family and the Brady Bunch. Like here I am with this broken family, like super dysfunctional home. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to binge eat and watch Happy Families. Like that was my thing. So over time, I was so athletic. My body didn't really show much of that, but I was always using food as as a way to self-soothe and in excess. And then once I got into college and stopped all my athletics and got even more into rigorous studies, I, I just kept up with that and it got more and more pronounced. And then the bulimia started to kick in because it was like, things are changing fast and I need to stop this. But my goal weight always just kept on like creeping upwards because as I like my body size just kept creeping upwards, I kept being like, okay, well, I guess now just this one, that, that's where I was a year ago, but I would love to be back there again, you know, and just like always trying to like inch up, 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 up my goal weight because yeah. I- I went through that too, yeah. Yeah, it was like the- Oh, man. It's just like it was so slow. I mean, it was like an eight-year process to get to where my body actually wanted to be, which sounds like, oh, my God. Which again, it's, you know, it's this journey. The whole eight years was like growing in myself. But it's just like it's a very natural relationship with my body. Took, once again, eight years to get there. And I'm not attached to my body size. I just recognize that my body is happy where I'm at and we're in a good, we're in a good relationship. I'm not trying to change it. It's not trying to change me at this point. So so it's just this idea like letting go and trusting and it could look a lot different than you thought. And that's okay, whether that's a higher weight, a lower weight, you're living authentically. You're living in where you're meant to be and who you're meant to be. Yeah, this this idea. So I think we all have different experiences. I just want to be like careful. Like it's not about the weight, I guess, you know, because we all have different ones, but it's it's about being yeah. you. And you can't go into recovery or intuitive eating with the goal of, I'm going to recover and lose weight. Like, it just can't be about your body size at all. It's just got to be irrelevant because ultimately it is when it comes to your worth and your health. There's so much more to it than your body size, you know? And that's it. It's like when you can let that in, like, and let go that it, it's like that you're not controlling, like, oh, I'll do this if. Yeah. Because when I first practiced intuitive eating, I was like, oh, I might lose weight. My body might change. This is like how I'm going to lose weight. But it's I learned to let that go. (laughs) Yeah. And it's different for everybody. Also, because our bodies also change, like something I like to keep in mind, too. Right. Like, I mean, I guess for me, in that sense, my experience was a little more similar to yours, Jessica, that I'm also in a smaller body now that I'm recovered. But I also like to remember and acknowledge to myself that like, life is still long and a lot can happen and those changes can also look like aging you know what I mean that can be a really big struggle too and and we're all going to experience that right or whatever it is something happens in your life you're emotionally struggling and then 
whatever, right? So it's just, I feel like for recovery, as you're saying, Andrea, it's just so important that you learn to look beyond the body. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that you said that. You know, aging's such a good example too. I remember I pulled the audience like a while back and that was a huge thing. People were like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm happy with my body now. Like I'm more in this recovered state, but I'm aging and society tells me youth is beauty and youth is is what we put value on. And that's a currency that's going down because I'm getting older. I can't change that, right? We can't change that. So it is about not being attached to our appearance. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff like worries about body image with size is, yeah, very similar to aging. And for me, when I like, I'm like, I'm hitting my mid 30s, I've got some white hairs coming in. And my first thought is like, that's scary. But then it's, I just repackage that in a similar way that I repackage my thoughts around body size, which is like, my body's not my worth. My appearance is not my worth. These white hairs don't mean anything about who I am. And also I try to enjoy aging and like, it's a sign that I'm getting older and wiser. I love getting older and wiser. In my 20s, I was not so wise and just a hot mess. So I'm like, I love these signs that I'm getting older and I'm maturing and like more wisdom is coming. So I try to like frame it like that, which is not not too unlike how I reframe thoughts around body size as well. <laughs> Whose 20s were not a hot mess? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, I can't even believe I'm still alive. It was bad. I know, right? Oh my God, seriously. Being sober now helps a lot. I'll say that. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay, so for this one, I loved getting all these different perspectives. And I just want to be really careful that if you're listening to this, just remember, it's not about the appearance. It's not about, oh, but I want this story and I don't want this story. It's like, I just want to be accepting of my body and its changes because it will change Mm -hmm. no matter what. The one certainty we have in life is change. This brings us to our next lie the eating disorder tells you. Lie number three. There are quote-unquote good foods and there are quote-unquote bad foods. So this is the idea that there's like this moral judgment around foods. Oh, I can have this, but I can't have that. And This plays in so much with diet culture, what is okay, what is not okay, what is a good food, a bad food. And I, yeah, I'd love to talk about this one because there is also this idea that food is medicine and food can be healing and there are healing properties to food. So I don't want to ignore that fact because sometimes we try to just say this like, you know, no good foods, bad foods, but then some people come in with, but this food, I feel better when I eat it than this food. Or this food, I've noticed a change in my hormones levels when I eat this food, right? So I I also just want to kind of bring in a little more conversation around that because I think you can have both and and find both. Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is like all foods are neutral. Yes, some foods might make me feel worse than others, but that doesn't make my worth more or less, or it doesn't mean I did anything good or bad or less good or less bad by eating a certain way. And that's part of intuitive eating. Like if you notice something makes you feel good, cool. Lean into that, eat it more, embrace it. But ultimately that's different from being like, oh, I ate this. So that means I'm a good person or I did something good. That's There's a difference. (laughs) And that's super important because ultimately, yeah, there is no good and bad food. And having that mindset was what fueled my eating disorder and a lot of self-hate because when I would binge and eat something that I did not consider to be a good food meant that I was not good. And that was hard. <laughs> and then when you do feel like you're eating good, you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm eating good. I'm doing good. I'm being good. I'm so good. And then you kind of ride on that high. And then as soon as you binge or have what you might consider to be a slip up, then, oh, my God, it's such a fall from grace. But you, it's just a roller coaster ride you don't need to be on. There is no good or bad. That's not moral. But if you eat something and it makes you feel like crap, maybe you want to stay away from that. Maybe it upsets your stomach. Like that's a whole separate thing from I'm a good person or I'm a bad person because I ate this. Exactly. You nailed it. (laughs) It's that internalization of like your who you are because of that. I love it. (laughs) Totally. And I and I think it's interesting how you say that, you know, it fueled also your eating disorder because I was going to I was going to say something really similar um, where when I sort of think back on this yeah, this this lie, like good foods, bad foods, I feel like that literally, literally is what fueled my eating disorder because I would not allow myself certain foods. And then that is what 
ended up triggering binge eating. It, and it's what triggered my purging because I just could not live with this moral judgment that I was putting on the food, knowing that it was inside of me. I just had to get rid of it. Right. But then my body was so imbalanced that all I wanted was those foods that I deemed bad. Right. And then you start binging on them. And then, like Andrea said, it's just like looping, endless roller coaster that you just can't get off of. So, yeah, it's just so, so, so important to let go of those labels. And I want to yeah. say, like, sometimes these labels can be sneaky. A lot of people, I see people saying, like, oh, this food is healthy or unhealthy. To me, that's just another way of mm-hmm. saying good and good and bad. Like, to me, all foods are healthy. They all keep you alive. If you were, like, stranded in a desert with no food for five days and you saw a Twinkie, that's going to be the healthiest thing in the world, you know? Like, <laughs> food ultimately is healthy. And, yeah, <laughs> depending on your needs and the situation, some things might make you feel better than others. But ultimately, like, Food is fuel. Food, food is life. Nothing. There's nothing that's bad for you or gonna harm you unless it's been poisoned or something. Like, ultimately, there's yeah, no unhealthy totally. or healthy in my mind. I don't. I don't like to see it that way. I find that harmful for me to look at it that way. Yeah. Isn't there also, um, since you're mentioning health, I, I'm forgetting the name, but there's an official diagnosis, right, of an eating disorder that essentially is just obsession with with health. Orthorexia. Orthorexia. Yeah. Orthorexia. Okay. That's not just exercising. I thought that was just exercising, but I guess that's with healthy food as well, right? Oh, like clean eating. It's like a, okay. an obsession around like quote unquote clean eating. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know. And that's so like societally accepted these days, you know, more than ever, this like health craze. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. And it does fuel, like you guys are saying, it fuels eating disorder. And when you really lock into that lie that like if, I eat this, I'm a, I, I'm a bad person or like I did something bad or wrong or because then that, once again, like the guilt, deeper than the guilt is the shame, right? Mm-hmm. I am not good because I had this. And and I also like think within us, there's these polarities, right? We're always kind of like in this confrontational, like with like ourself, right? A confrontation with self. And so if we're trying so desperately to only see the light, only do the good, then the bad is there, the shadow's there and it wants to come out, you know? So you have to acknowledge that like, when you're saying like, Madeline, that would fuel me too. Like, okay, I'm only going to be good. I'm only going to be perfect. Like, I'm only going to be like exactly what I I quote unquote should have because it's good and this is healthy. And then that like shadow, that part would be like, no, 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 girl. The rebel would come out and just want to take over. And that rebel can also be tied with physiology. Like, I'm hungry. I need food. And I'm not giving myself adequate nutrition. So this like idea that when you start to just drop that, let it go, you're no longer in that battle anymore. And so it's just like, yeah. It's freedom. It's liberation. You can have it. You cannot have it. It just can be a natural rhythm that you find yourself with the foods that you're eating, which once again is really like at the end of the day called intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like talking about the polarity, like foods good or bad or healthy or unhealthy or whatever. Like if you acknowledge it all is equal, all the same playing field, then that battle between good and bad can't exist because there's no good and bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's also important to acknowledge that it it, it is a process and like, because yeah. the basis of this is to trust yourself, right? And to listen to yourself and not give it an external label of being a certain way, but to tune inward. And like you said, oh, when I eat this, I feel really good. Oh, when I eat this, I'm not feeling good. And I know that for me, you know, in the beginning of my recovery, I was just so disconnected from those signals within myself that it was, it was hard. And I kind of had to allow myself everything first, like literally no limits, no nothing. And then slowly as I moved ahead, I was actually able to connect back to those signals. And now, as you say, if sometimes I maybe there's certain foods that I eat and I or that I just don't eat, but I'm not eating them because I they're gonna do something to my body or because they're bad. I just they don't make me feel good. So I don't really think about them and I don't eat them. But it is a process to get there. Yeah. That was exactly the process I went through. I had to just allow all the foods that I didn't like the ones that were like only reserved for binges or purges ones that like, you know, I would never just eat normally, you know, Mm -hmm. like those I had to start to have. And then you really do get to this place where it's you ultimately honor what your body wants. Mm -hmm. And it is a process. You know what? I went through that as well. And one thing that I still like blows my mind is I was obsessed with cheese because in my family, cheese was like a forbidden fruit, right? So that was something I binged on. That was something that I worked so hard to avoid, but then I would just binge and go crazy. And now like six years into recovery and intuitive eating, I 
rarely eat cheese. Like, <laughs> I used to eat a block of that at the time and be like, oh my God, this is the greatest food. Nothing is better than cheese. And now I'm like, I can take it or leave it. And sometimes I leave it. I'm like, it's, it's, it's not that good to me. I never actually really liked it. But once I allowed it and ate it with permission, it gave me time to see like, you know what? It's, it's not, it's not that great. It's just cheese. Yeah. It really, it really emphasizes those polarities, right? Like when we listen to that voice, it's like, really good or really bad and it's just so extreme on both ends yeah i think it's important to like with these it's just like to ruthlessly question what you want or what you should have like start to notice what are shoulds what are wants like what i actually want right now versus what i think i should have Mm -hmm. because diet culture will teach you you should have you know these foods and you should eat this time of day and between this intervals and it, it essentially is telling you what you should do, which in some way, oh, that's comforting. Just tell me what to do and I'll follow. I'll be a rule follower. But then that rebel comes in and it's like, no, you won't. Like, let's break the rules. And then just starting to see like, okay, what do I want right now? And that can be scary because sometimes what you want is what you consider at the point in like, what is bad right like that like oh i want this this sounds good but that is truly where you find the freedom is when you start to go to a menu and be like what sounds good what do i actually want not what i should have what is the better option but what sounds good oh like lasagna okay Mm -hmm. let's go there (laughs) let's do this and you may find that your relationship with lasagna changes a lot over the years and you no longer crave it, or maybe that's your favorite dish now and you recognize you can totally have it and it's awesome. Totally. And I just want to throw in a little like trick or a practice that I do with that now that has really helped me. So in my eating disorder days, I would always, before I went into any restaurant, I would look at, of course, the menu beforehand to rule out what the bad foods were and what the good foods were and what I would be able to allow myself so that I could be planned and secure. That really takes out the intuitive factor of all of it so now what I do I actually purposely don't look at the menu so that then when I show up somewhere I like scan it and I can just kind of like go with that like intuitive like ooh, I read something and it like lights something up in me and then I just know oh I think that's what I'm having today <laughs> so if anyone wants to try that out who's listening for me that's really worked yeah it's it's just letting go I think is that thing letting go of these good and bad food labels and just recognizing that it is a process but the eating disorder is lying to you when it's telling you that if you have this, you are bad and you need to punish yourself. And if you eat this, you are good and you are following these rules. Totally. All right. This brings us to our next lie the eating disorder tells you. Lie number four. People will love me more and my life will be better if I'm skinny. So this is really this idea of attaching our worth to our weight, that if I change my appearance, then I will have a better life. And let's not ignore that there is a lot of fat phobia in our society and that there are like stigmatization of people in larger bodies. At the same time, what is it like to fully just embody who you are and, and live from that place? And, and how does the world change around you when you're not thinking that the world needs you to change in order to be a part of it? Yeah, I feel like I've really lived through that because that's another thing that fueled my eating disorder was feeling like I have to be skinny to have a better life, to be happy. I'll get everything I want. I'll be amazing at school, at work. I'll have the best friends. I'll have the best relationship. Like being skinny is going to solve everything. And that, and that mindset was ingrained for me as a young girl. And also, I think I had a parent who kind of fueled that. Like when I was smaller, I'd get a lot of compliments like, oh, you're so much prettier. Like it was very clear to me that I had a parent who was happier with me as a whole (laughs) when I was smaller versus when I was bigger. So that fueled like the signals that I got internally about my size and my worth. I would get that from a parent. I would also get that from society because, yeah, fat phobia is everywhere. It values thinness. It's being skinny doesn't make you happy. I learned to realize that. And that was, it's been over a decades long process to realize that. But I feel like I'm at a point now where I'm living it more than ever. I've been thin. I've had smaller body sizes and I never felt better about myself. I still had the same problems. I still had symptoms of a trauma disorder. I was still struggling with alcoholism. 
And at the same time, the things that were good about my life were still true, regardless of my body size. I did succeed in school and was happy with my job and doing well at work, regardless of what my body size was. And now I'm at a place where my body is bigger than it's ever been, almost. <laughs> it's, it's up there. And my life is the best it's ever been. And I'm not trying to have a smaller body and I'm not trying to lose weight because all that ever did was make my life worse. And letting go of that is like, okay, like my physical health is good for the first time because I'm, I'm sober now. I'm not trying to crash diet or binge and purge. Like my health is good. My mental health is the best it's ever been in my whole life. And I have a super healthy relationship, the healthiest relationship I've ever had. And I've always had healthy relationships with best friends who I think I've mentioned in a previous episode. I have three best friends, lifelong. And just years and years of really looking at that and really seeing that in practice that my body size was irrelevant the whole time. Being skinny never brought me happiness. In my case, with an eating disorder, it it made it worse because that's when I was really deep in behaviors, which would fluctuate. But I was more miserable. I never felt good about myself. and. It's been a long process <laughs> to, to live and learn it, but I truly believe it and I truly feel it and see it now, not just with me, but with anyone. Like, skinny's not going to make you happy. Taking care of yourself and your mental health, and it, that's what makes you happy. Your body size is honestly completely irrelevant to your happiness. Mm -hmm. It's a state of being, not a state of body. Yeah, that's so true. And that's just so interesting because I feel like it's almost like two sides of the same coin. Like I was going to say, as somebody who was very skinny throughout my eating disorder, and I, it was more like I was holding on to that weight so tightly, that was not bringing me happiness. I might have looked a certain way from the outside, but I was miserable. I was unwell, and it was not good. So definitely the look just, it doesn't matter if you're skinny, if you're big, it's, the, it's your inner world. It's those voices in your head, right? So definitely skinny is not going to suddenly make a give you a better life. And, and the obsession over it, you know, the, the attachment, the, the worth that we that we give it for me too. you know, you're saying came from a young age. And I, I guess I have a, a similar, yeah, a similar story where when I was younger, I had a lot of friends that were really pretty. I don't know. I, it was my judgment, but I felt like other people felt the same way, too. Not that I'm not pretty. I, I mean, I, I like myself now. So but at the time, especially when you're young, you're a teenager and you're growing up and you're starting to look outside of yourself. Oh, what do people look like? What do boys like? You know, and what I did always have was this like athletic body. And so already when I was like 14, I guess, I would be, like, oh, well, Maddie with the good body. Oh, Maddie with the nice butt. Like literally that's what people would say. And I just remember being like, in my mind, those two dots just boom. There was that connection. I was like, yep, okay. That's what, what I need to hold on to at all costs because I don't have the same prettiness that they have. I'm sure I'm a good student, but I'm not the overflow. Like that was the this piece of worth that somehow I took from society and took from the outside world that I needed to be to be worthy. And that was really the big lie that you uncover, right? When you go through recovery that no, that is actually not true. Um, when I say like this stuff is easier said than done, it's it's so true because you can tell yourself all day long, my body's not my worth. My a smaller body size won't make you happy. But then you see all these messages from society at large that tells you the opposite. And it's like, that's a whole other thing that you that you have to face is hearing stuff from the outside world. I'm a millennial and I was a teenager in the 2000s. And everyone that I looked up to in media was like super thin, blonde, white, and not being those things hurt. <laughs> you know, I wasn't super thin. I'm I'm half indigenous. I'm not a blonde, white, skinny girl. And that was hard seeing that in society. And now it's a little different now. The standards are changed, but society is still there. It's like no matter what, how it evolves, there's still something that's going to make you feel like you're not good enough or that's a whole other battle you have to fight is the, the outside world. <laughs> yeah. And you almost kind of have to like, at least I like to see it a little more from like a humorous lens or just kind of laugh at it, like kind of really take like a bird's eye view. Like, cause mine was like no doubt days was when I was growing up and like Gwen Stefani with like these like super uh, like, you know, eyebrows, like you pretty much plucked your whole eyebrows off. Like that was cool. Like now it's like bushy eyebrows, you know? So you just kind of have to laugh at it. You kind of have to be like, oh, yeah. oh what is it then? Like, is it that or is it this? Like it, it's cause it's always changing. That's almost like what they want us to like, 
always plug into like the new the new beauty trend like but it's just recognizing that like i i don't want the judgments or what society is telling me needs is cool or is beautiful to guide me mm-hmm. yeah one other thing that that was really helpful for me in dealing with this um, was I read a book by um, some of you guys might know her, Megan Jane Crab. She used to be Body Posy Panda mm-hmm. on Instagram, mm-hmm. and one of her first books she read, I forget the title right now. Um, in any case, one of the things that she talks about in her book that you just kind of touched on, Jessica, was this idea that like it is it is society and it is also capitalism because every time that these trends change, someone's making money, right? Like. They're selling mm-hmm. us a new product to do this or to now to the Brazilian butt lift or whatever the n- latest trend is. And I know that what she was doing in her book, and it definitely fueled that in me too, it, it made me angry. And I was like, ask this. I don't want to like, really? Am I conforming? Am I really going to do this to like help Jeff Bezos? I mean, maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> I don't know what Amazon has to do with anything, but whatever. He's like a rich capitalist, you know? That, that helped me. It, it, it gave me fuel to fight my eating disorder and the voice in my head because I was like, no, I am not. I'm not stepping into that. I'm not tapping into that. Definitely. Anger can lead us to action. And there's this quote that I see going around pretty regularly that's like something along the lines of, imagine if all of a sudden people decided they were okay with their bodies. Think of how many industries would go out of business. Like, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Could it have been Rupi Cower? I know in one of her books, she has a poem and it goes, it's a trillion dollar industry that would collapse if we believed we were beautiful enough already. That's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would love that. And one thing I like to say uh, when, you know, I've worked with a lot of people one-on-one and, and through programs over the years is this idea that, okay, my life will be better when I'm skinny. I know I'm thinking about one woman in particular. She thought like her career would be better, that she'd be more respected. She thought that she would meet the love of her life. And so what I had her start to do was like go out into the world and not notice the couples that are happy that are thin, but notice the couples that are happy at any size. Just start noticing happy people at any size or people in their career at any size. And she was like, whoa, I was so filtered. Mm -hmm. I was only seeing, you know, this narrow window that I thought I had to fit into. And she's like, they're everywhere. There are people in larger body sizes, holding hands, kissing everywhere. You know, there are people who are killing it in their career who are in a larger body size. Mm -hmm. So she like just took away that, that filter that she had and, you know, her career transformed. She's now married and is just happy and has like her family, like, so it was just this filter that she applied and and made it look so small. Like, I must be like this in order to be happy. And I was just like, just take it out, you know, like start to notice everywhere that there are people in love everywhere. There are people killing it in their career everywhere, yeah. like all sizes, all. Yeah. So that was that was a, um, I had a therapist recommend that to me once. So <laughs> it's good advice. I agree. It helped me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and I think the bigger takeaway from all of this is that our, our weight is not what gives us happiness in, in the end, right? It, it's our state of being. It's not our state of body. Everything I wanted my life to be that I thought would happen if I had a smaller body, I have now in a bigger body. And it's not because of my body. It's, it's because of my mindset. I have the life that I want now and it doesn't matter what my body size is. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love it. Okay. That brings us to our final lie that the eating disorder tells you. Number five, I have to focus on calories in and calories out. So the lie is that you really have to be like vigilant about what is coming in and what is coming out. This kind of ties into this idea that you need to burn your calories. So the compensation or find ways to compensate for them, other compensatory behaviors, laxatives, bulimia, purging, things like that can tie into this idea that I need to master this equation. And we know this equation is really set up in beauty magazines and diet culture is this idea that stay on top of what you're eating. When you measure it, you know, what you record, you you improve and all of these things. But when you're tracking your calories and you're tracking the exact, oh my God, I mean, like, did I have a medium apple or did I have a big apple like or a large apple? Like when you start getting so granular, do you guys remember that? Like the... Yeah. I remember trying to figure out how many calories were in vitamins I was taking. Like <laughs> it was that bad. <laughs> oh man. 
Yeah. It becomes like this, this thing that you need to know exactly how many calories you're having. So that is a lie that you need to be super like tracking every calorie in, every calorie out. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that's, that's exactly it. I feel like it's that exact calculation because it is a calculation, right? It's, it even goes beyond a belief. It's this calculation that it can just take over everything. I know that was my experience is that, and I, I, like it, it just ruled my whole life because it becomes so obsessive and you can add everything that you do into that calculation. Did I walk to the metro or did I take a cab? Did I do a 15 minute hit super burn workout or did I just kind of, I don't know, go for a little what? Like whatever, everything you do can get analyzed. And I feel like I know that where for me, when I look back, I just like my whole life was just ruled by looking at this calculation and what are the additives, what's going in, what's going out. And geez, never ending. Yeah. And I do think like when you have a habit, right, the idea of habit formation, well, is you need like if you're breaking a habit, then you need to form a new habit around it. So then where do you channel that energy? I think that's something to like, you know, be upfront about like, okay, your brain wants to do this. Your brain is doing it. It's giving some peace to your brain, like to have this thing to focus on. I remember exactly like just obsessed, just walking to class in between breaks in college, like calculating it in my mind, getting to the class, writing it down. And like, I'm getting a world-class education here. And I'm like, calories in. How much yeah. is this? Like, how much is that? This was pre, this was pre uh, my fitness pal and all that. I can't even imagine with all these apps now mm. the way you can just start to really obsess about it and have it tell you, I mean, even this noom, right? Oh, bad, good, green light, red light, yellow, all of that. Like, oof, that's tough. And to recognize that, okay, well, how I need to, if this is something I'm doing, I need to break it. So I need to find something else. I can't just go cold turkey. Where can you start? So I do recommend tracking your emotions, tracking your thoughts, just allowing yourself to still track things, but in a way where you're, you know, tracking your gratitude, like you know, do those things because you're, you want to, you, you want to do something you can't just stop. Like, so do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, I honestly, I was fine to just stop tracking, but I can totally see that you might need to, it's hard to let that go or you could replace that with something healthier. And like right now I'm just sitting here, like I teared up a little bit. I'm feeling really emotional and sad talking about calories in, calories out. And it's just, it's sad. Like I'm trying not to cry. Um, I just think back to like 15 year old Andrea with her little food journal, because again, it was before my fitness pal, writing out all her calories, writing out what she, how much she walked or ran or how many sit-ups she did. And did she burn it off? Do I have a negative calorie deficit? And it's like, it's just, it just brings me so much sadness to think about how I was just a child. So stressed out about that, how that ruled my life. And my life was so small when it was so focused on that. And I just feel so much sadness for for that, for anyone else who's gone through that, for anyone who's going through it now. I don't even, I just, I can't even like articulate right now. I just feel so emotional. It's just so, it's so sad that you think you need to have your life ruled by calories in, calories out. There's, it's just sad for me. Hmm. Well, thanks for bringing that emotion up and sharing it. Yeah, it is sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Andrea. I I I relate to that too. And I, I I the thought that came to my mind now as we're talking too is like automatically if there's a calculation, that means there's some kind of a a result. So again, we're just like focused. If we're focused on the calculation, then we're focused on the result. And that just brings us back to the misperception we keep talking about. There is no result. The result that we should be chasing is to live the life, to make that life bigger and more colorful and more beautiful, not to chase some small ideal that society is telling us is one. Mm -hmm. Or how we're like going to reach it through controlling these numbers, essentially losing control in the process, right? Because the eating disorder is something that you feel gives you control until you find that you're out of control, like yeah. that it's controlling you. And and that's why I do like that when like for me, like whether I say the word tracking, I, I think tracking is another word for me as self-awareness with my emotions, like labeling things and being able to see like, okay, like I- I didn't intend to discredit that, by the way. I feel bad. <laughs> no, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Because I think once again, I was a little like coming with a heavy hand. I'm like, you got to track. <laughs> and then you're like, well, no, I'm like, well, yeah. it's true. You don't have to track. <laughs> if you don't want to track, don't track. <laughs> well, when another one of those things, take what's best, leave the rest. If that makes sense to you, cool. If it doesn't, cool. <laughs> 
Exactly. But I, I, I really do think there is a power in being able to label your experiences, your thoughts, and not, once again, this is the mindfulness, the, the one of the components of self-compassion is not over-identify with them and to just accept all and reject none. So if you're like in this like, oh my gosh, like I'm feeling depressed right now or I'm feeling anxious to just know, okay, wow, this is this is what the experience of anxiety feels like. This is me feeling anxious. These are the thoughts that are fueling that and not attaching anything to that, just observing it and being aware of it. I find that for me is a better use of my energy my than ever was to like log my meals. and it, But there is, once again, there's a process of logging your meals that's very helpful when you're in recovery and you're working with people, especially a dietitian or a treatment team. I, you know, I fully believe that's yeah. a good part of the process. I fully believe that's a valuable part of the process for people. Yeah. And I, I just want to add something here because I really appreciate what you were saying also about mindfulness. Um, and in, in I'm just doing my advanced yoga teacher training. And one of the one of the practices I've learned about is yoga nidra, which is kind of like a more of a mindful sort of meditative practice. But one teacher, Richard Miller, who created a program called IRIS, and I mentioned this because it's really interesting. He's a he's actually a psychologist and a yogi, and he kind of brought his knowledge from these two fields together. And he created this this practice, and it's actually used. The U.S. military bought it, and they use it to this day with the the military for PTSD and trauma. And the real like the the obviously there's so much to this practice. And if anyone's curious, please go check it out. It can be super helpful. But like the the foundation, the the basic message that just comes over and over and over and over in this in this practice is like welcome your experience just as it is. Just let it be what it is. Don't judge it. Just observe it. Just let it be there. And, you know, we we have this fear that if we do that, it's going to like take us over and eat us up and then we'll like drown in this in this experience. And and as with so many things, I feel like when we start to do it, the opposite is true, right? When we actually let it in, it kind of loses its power over us. So it just made me think of that. And for a way to practice that mindfulness that you were talking about, go check out Yubinjidra. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's like, such a key part we're talking about today is like letting go means like stopping that resistance, right? And when you are so resistant, you're just holding on like ugh, controlling it, it, like it, you end up just getting stuck. Yeah. What you resist persists. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And when you can accept all, love all, even if it's like not your ideal scenario and re- not reject it, it like transforms. That's just the, the subtle beauty of it. Like how, how do I do it? Accept it. And love it. And it transforms. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this now, I mean, I can remember back in the day where I thought like, I can never stop counting calories. Like it's so ingrained in my brain. Like it's just what I do. Like it, it's like an a- automatic response. It it really is this muscle that it, like when you're using it often, it gets stronger and stronger. But when you stop using it, it does start to atrophy. But it doesn't mean that it goes away. Like I still know the calories of pretty much anything. And that's 15 years now. Like I, it's in my brain. Like I have a good memory for for all of that. I, I know what a calories of an apple are: small, medium, and large. <laughs> so like I know all of that, but I don't use it. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't use that muscle anymore. It's like, but it's there. It didn't disappear. It just isn't active anymore. And and so that that's at least been in my experience around it. Like it it doesn't go away, but. It does, if it makes yeah. sense. Like it's still like it's still accessible, but I don't use it. Yeah, I, I would second that for sure. I know this, you know, sometimes like Andrew keeps saying it can sound kind of lofty to be like, with time it'll come, it'll happen. And when you're in it, it can feel so impossible. But I had a very similar experience, Jessica, where you you did used to do that, but as the more you practice it, the more you develop the other muscle to counteract that, the more mm-hmm. solid you'll feel, the stronger you'll feel in it. Yeah. Calories used to rule every minute of my day and I don't even think about it. <laughs> like we brought it up today. That's the only reason it came in my mind. I don't think about the word calories. I don't think about them at all. When I go to a, a restaurant, I don't even, it's just tuned out. Like the numbers on the menu, I don't even see it or register it. Like that's awesome. And that's taken <laughs> a long, long time of practice, but yeah, it's pretty, it's just something I don't even really concern myself with anymore, which is so freeing and amazing because it used to rule every second of my life calories haunted me and now I barely got time to think about them so <laughs> it's nice yeah that's where I'm at too mm-hmm. I guess I would just say if there was multiple choice 
test, I would still be able to to do well on it in terms of like what calories of what, <laughs> but I don't take that test. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like I don't even. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But that's kind of where I feel. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to say I have a good memory. That's all I want to tell you guys. <laughs> okay. We got a genius over here. <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys I'm like Mensa style. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> just want to toot my own, uh, <laughs> own horn. Okay. So lots of lies the eating disorder tells you, and it really is about starting to notice them first and foremost, bring that awareness and seem like, oh, be ruthless in questioning your assumptions about food, body, your weight, all of these things. And to review our five lies that the eating disorder tells you are, so this is when you know you're being lied to, when you are hearing the voice telling you that you're not sick enough that you will stop your eating disorder behaviors once you hit a certain weight. There are good foods and there are bad foods. People love you more and your life will be better if you are skinnier. And you have to focus on calories in and calories out. So when these ideas start to, to really take you over, just remember, hey, this isn't truth. This isn't my authentic truth. It's a process, as we all as we always say. So any closing remarks? Andrea, Madeline, fuck those lies. <laughs> yes, fuck those lies. I'm with that. <laughs> fuck those lies. That's our closing remark. <laughs> also, don't be shy or really like go out there and find some resources. Like find voices that can combat these lies if you don't have that voice within yourself yet, right? So find some influencers, find some books, find some dietitians, find people that are in this like you know, sort of recovery, body acceptance, body positivity space and, and let those feed your voice if you don't feel like you have yeah have it yet. Couldn't agree more. Because as we said, society they supports these lies that the eating disorder tells us. So we have to create our own little mini society around ourselves. And there are people out there. There are resources out there. I've done it. It can be done. It helps a ton. So great advice, Madeline. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And it really is a revolution. You know, it is really a revolution to to let go of the diet culture and, and all of this. So you're on the forefront of the revolution and, and that's cool. And you need to question, just question it all. That's mine is question everything. Be ruthless with your assumptions on, on what you think is real and know that your perceptions can change and allow them to, if it's going to help you. Those lies <laughs> and limiting beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure to connect with you guys. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your perspectives. It's it's just, it's always so beautiful for me to connect with you guys. I love doing this. Yeah, me too. Thank you for a great conversation. Thanks, Jessica and Madeline. Bye. 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 <laughs> well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Keep